Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Jack Baca, and you've tuned in to the Romans Bible Study at the Village Church in Rancho Santa Fe. This is the fifth lesson in our study for this winter and spring, and we are going to be looking at Romans 3.31 through 4.22. Before we dive into that passage, let's take a quick look at where we have come so far. In the opening chapters of Romans, Paul has introduced himself to the people of the church in Rome. He's getting ready to travel to be with them, and he wants them to know who he is and what he's all about. He then has begun to build a theological case, if you will, a theological argument, you might say, a theological description of what he believes to be the truth about God, about us, and about God's plan for all creation. And in last week's lesson, we saw Paul's initial summary that all people have sinned. All people have sinned. Jews have sinned. Gentiles have sinned. All. There is no exception. All people are sinners in the eyes of God. That sinfulness that is expressed throughout all human history with all human beings is proven, it is discussed, it's described in the scriptures. Paul then talks about the fact that the law is powerless to earn us our salvation. Remember, Paul is a Jew, and Paul is very, very concerned. He's very, very interested in what the law of God has to say, because that's really, the, in some ways, the fundamental structure of a Jew's relationship with God is through the law. The giving of the Ten Commandments, but then even more so, the whole story of God's history with the people, especially beginning with Abraham. Paul has described and proven, especially to the Jews, that the law is powerless to earn our salvation. The law is powerless. Now, though, God has shown us what he does with the fact that we are unable to earn our salvation. God has come to us as Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is God. And in Jesus Christ, Paul says, God has demonstrated his own righteousness. God has demonstrated his power and his love to do something about our situation. In Jesus, God shows that we can, can have a relationship uh, with God. In Jesus, we see that the only way to have a relationship with God is through who Jesus is and especially what Jesus has done by becoming one of us, by living our life, by dying our death, and then by his resurrection. Jesus is primarily an expression, if you will, of God's grace. Everything about Jesus is all about God's grace. And therefore, we share the news about Jesus. That's what Paul is doing, is sharing the news about Jesus. Then Paul moves on to another question. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was trained in the law and the theology of the Jews. He was a very, very intelligent and, and uh, erudite person. And, and he in all of his letters, but especially in the letter to Rome, he creates a, a logical um, argument, a logical discussion uh, 
uh, of what he believes. And so now Paul has told us that God has created all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. Jew and Gentile alike are sinners. Uh, we have found no way in order to prove our righteousness or to earn our righteousness. The law itself has proven incapable of making us to be righteous. And then God has, in coming to us in Jesus, has shown his grace to us and in offering his love to us in Jesus, even though we don't deserve that love. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's love, everything about God, his graciousness has, has been demonstrated as a way of, of proving to us, if you will, that God loves us and we can have a relationship with God in spite of the fact that we are not able to earn God's love through the law. So now, Paul goes on to the next question that is in his mind and the next question that should be in our minds. And that's where we pick up the story, if you will. That's where we pick up the argument as we begin reading in verse 31 of chapter 3. So I'm going to read verse 31 of chapter 3 all the way through verse 12 of chapter 4. And we'll look at that section briefly. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. So also David speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Quoting, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Is this blessedness then, back to Paul, is this blessedness then pronounced only on the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised? We say, in quotes, that faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. End of the quote. How then was it recognized to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the ancestor of all who believe without being circumcised, and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them, and likewise the ancestor of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow the example of the faith that our ancestor Abraham had before he was circumcised. Okay, now that's a complicated argument there, but it makes a whole lot of sense as we begin to take it apart. So, with verse 31, again, Paul says, all people have sinned. So if all people have sinned, and if the basis of our relationship with God is all about faith and not the law, 
well then where does the law fit in? What are we going to do with the law of God? Paul still loved the law. Paul saw Jesus as a fulfillment of the law, and so he was helping to explain to us what is the place of the law in a person's faith-based, grace-based relationship with God. And Paul's essential answer is that the law is not nullified, but the law is upheld. And we see how that works itself out in the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham, of course, is in some sense the first person in the great story of the relationship between God and his people. Obviously, with the story of Genesis, we have Adam and Eve and then everything that goes on. But then God intervenes in human history in a very specific and particular way in the person of Abraham. Abraham is the father, if you will. He's the beginning of the special story, the unique story of God's interaction in our history in the life of Israel. Paul is going to build the case for us that in Abraham we see a, a, an example we see it lived out, a proper relationship, a proper alignment of faith and law, or faith and works, we might say. Paul takes great pains to prove to us from the scriptures themselves that Abraham was a man of faith before he was a man of works. And therefore, Abraham himself has no ground for boasting, Paul would say. Not even the great Abraham could say to God, I have fulfilled the law, therefore you must love me. No, that wasn't what it was about. Abraham simply believed God, and God counted Abraham as being righteous. He reckoned it to Abraham as righteousness, Abraham's faith. And so this is the key to understanding the place of the law, the first key. The law is a gift of grace. We mistakenly use the law to try to, to prove ourselves to God. We say, God, I have fulfilled your law. I haven't murdered anybody. I, I haven't stolen from anybody. Whatever we want to say, therefore, I have fulfilled your law. Therefore, you must love me, God. Well, not even Abraham could say that, because actually the law was given after Abraham. And Abraham's relationship with God was something, was something that, that God gave to Abraham when he said, Abraham, here I am. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? And Abraham said, okay, I believe you. There's faith. The relationship is based on faith. You and I mistakenly try to use our own righteousness as a way of making sure that God owes us his love, but that's not what Abraham did, and that's not what any of us can do. So this is proof to Paul, and should be proof to all of us, that God justifies the ungodly, that God offers to us his grace and forgiveness and renewal. God does not give us his love as if we have earned it, like a wage earner would earn his wages. That's one of the examples that Paul uses. No, God, in a sense, pays us even though we haven't worked. That's what grace is about. 
And so in this way, Abraham is our father in the faith. Even before Jesus shows up on the scene, we already see, and we'll see it throughout the Old Testament, that, that Israel's relationship with God, the Jews' relationship with God, is something that God gives to them, if only they'll take it, of course. And so that, that circles back around to Paul's argument that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but all are also offered this relationship with God. Now, let's continue reading here, and we'll see a little bit more what this is about. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us. As it's written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so, hoping against hope, Abraham believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, Paul is filling out the story and reminding us about more of the story of Abraham and of Sarah and of their trust in God, their faith in God, long before the giving of the law of God. And again, our relationship with God rests on grace, not works. Grace, not our ability to fulfill the law. Now, Abraham is the father of the Jews, we would say. He's the father of the Jews, not because of the, the uh, ritual and the, the, the cultural habit of circumcision, but because of trust. Abraham became the father of this great nation, this physical, biological, racial nation, but a nation that was even bigger because of trust. Abraham is the father also of the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are not related uh, uh, biologically, if you will, to Abraham, but Gentiles are related to Abraham because of trust, because of faith in the same God. Now, Paul will want to talk about the value of being a Jew. Paul is not discounting the, the value and the blessing of being a Jew, but he is proving to us that whether Jew or Gentile, we have an equal relationship with God based on, on Abraham's life that proves to us that that relationship is based on grace. And so Abraham trusted God. He did what God said to do. He allowed God 
in, in God's own way to make Abraham's life into something wonderful and beautiful. It was God who was doing that work. Abraham himself was not perfect. We have plenty of examples of Abraham's imperfection. The story of Ishmael is the greatest example of that. Abraham and Sarah did not have a child. They were getting very, very old. God had said they were going to have children. Abraham went off to, to one of his maid servants and had a child with her, trying to, to sort of help God along with God's plan. And God said, no, that's not the plan. Then Abraham and Sarah become pregnant and they have a son, Isaac. It's God who's doing that work. God is the one who is faithful to his promise. Abraham and Sarah did finally learn to trust God's grace, to trust God's plan. In that sense, Abraham is, is the father of, of all Jews and Gentiles in the faith because Abraham lived out a human life in which he learned about a relationship with God. There's a great old song that we used to sing in camp. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Maybe some of you sang that song. Paul is proving to us that regardless of what faith or what biological line or what historical line we are born into, all of us, every single human being on the planet has an opportunity to have a relationship with God because God offers that relationship. The law is a good thing. Paul will prove that to us. The law is God's way of describing how it is that we are going to get along with each other, how it is that we can have a productive relationship with God because God has first offered it. Christians do not discount the place, the authority, the role of the law in, in opening up for us what it means to have a righteous life and how we are meant to live because of God's presence in our lives, how we are meant to live in the way that God made life to be lived, all of that holds the law in very, very high esteem. But above the law and our, our desire and even sometimes our ability to fulfill the law, there's something more important, and that is God's grace, God's love that first reached out and welcomed us to be with him and welcomed us into his presence and into his love. These are things that, that Paul is talking about in the letter to the Romans, things that Paul is offering not just to us, but to all. And of course, it's not Paul who's offering them. It is God who has offered these things. And so the key takeaways, I think, from, from this particular passage is, is to understand that you and I, regardless of from where we come, you and I have the possibility of a relationship with God through God's grace. Sometimes it's difficult to trust God. Sometimes we are overwhelmed with shame and grief when we have let God down. Sometimes we want to say to God, no, God, I'm a good person. You should love me. You should not love that person who's not very good. That has nothing to do with our relationship with God in the beginning. Our relationship with God is all about what God offers to us. And so it's good for us to study and understand Abraham's life. It's good for us to know that Abraham had an opportunity for a relationship with God just as we do. And we then continue to learn about our relationship with God as we welcome God's grace, God's offer of unconditional love 
and then begin to learn from that loving God how we are meant to live. I hope you're learning more and discovering more in this study of Romans. I hope you're having a chance to visit with other people, perhaps in your small group or with others, about what Romans means to you. My prayer is that you would continue to be blessed as you open yourself to these beautiful and wonderful and deep, deep truths of life and of faith that are expressed to us in Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a great blessing, is it not? I look forward to seeing you again. God bless.